Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Vancouver's downtown east side has long dealt with social issues stemming from homelessness and addiction, and to many, the situation has only gotten worse. Social agencies are feeling the strain, and the public is pressuring politicians to do more to solve the problems. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. Vancouver Sun columnist Douglas Todd joins me to discuss why there's a feeling that the problems are worse than ever, the new BC Premier's controversial proposals to address some of these issues, and how public compassion could be failing the people in the downtown east side. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, even Amazon Music. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Douglas, many Canadians have some awareness of the area of Vancouver called the Downtown East Side and some of its longstanding problems. But for those who are unfamiliar, just give us a bit of a breakdown of the area, some of the main issues there, and how long these kind of problems have been ongoing. In some ways, the problems have been ongoing for 60 or 70 years. I mean... The downtown east side, which is about a neighborhood of four to 8,000 people, however you count them, it kind of includes Chinatown, and it's east of the, you know, the towers of the downtown core, but very close to them, actually. <laughs> and, you know, 60 years ago, it's where the loggers who uh, sort of came down on their locker, got injured, would sort of end up going there and drinking too much and stuff, And but getting supported. There's an incredible amount of... Um, Charities working down there and government agencies, you know, providing food, shelter, place to sleep. Um, apparently, there are actually hundreds of them. At its best, it's been a kind of a compassionate neighborhood where people feel they belong. Like if somebody down in the lock and drinking too much or drugs or whatever ends up in, you know, the west side of Vancouver or uh, somewhere rich, they will be stigmatized and shunned and people will be disgusted but down there there's everybody's kind of wounded <laughs> in a way and uh at, the, at their best they've looked out after each other over the years but things have taken a turn in the last 10 or 20 years yeah and i know i know there's been lots of controversy relating to the downtown east side especially you know around the creation of canada's first safe consumption site insight how how have things changed in the last 20 years? Is it a combination of factors where you have more people kind of attracted to that area because there are those supports? The the fact that you have places like Insight offering services to opioid uh, drug users, uh, the the fact that, you know, the the serial killer Robert Picton was using the downtown east side as a, as a praying ground more recently than the last 10 or 20 years. How have things changed since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic? Because I imagine that changed how agencies were able to respond to the needs of the people in the community. All your questions are fantastic. They're the things that Vancouverites worry about all the time. Uh, it's got to be the most covered, written about neighborhood in the in BC because um, everybody's feeling something's got to happen. But I'll just uh, go back maybe 20 years. I'd say what happened, Partly what happened is the government agencies started getting way more into civil liberties 
um, and kind of backing off from aggressively cleaning the streets or keeping tents off the sidewalks or um, what became most prominent was um, people's rights to use drugs and then offering safe supply of drugs and real emphasis on choice of the people down there. So as a way to respect their dignity and everything and the police kind of being urged to back off. Then another thing that's happened that's really worsened things in the last 10 or 15 years is that drugs have just become so much more toxic. Fentanyl coming in from wherever it comes in, mostly from China. As you know, it's like super intense drug (laughs) and it gets injected into other, uh, or mixed into other drugs. So people don't even know they're taking fentanyl. So people are dying at a much more rapid Five people a day are dying in BC from opioid use, from toxic drug use. That's not all on the downtown east side by any means, but um, it's often in just people's apartments or up in Prince George or something like that. And then the other thing that happened was Riverview Mental Hospital was shut down about slowly over, but, but finally closed about 10 years ago. And that ended up with a lot more mentally ill people on the street just trying to take care of themselves. And then they would self-medicate through drugs. Just a disaster, right? Um, so kind of three things have been going on at least. Um, you, <laughs> you could talk to people about these issues and you'd get many other opinions here because everybody's scratching their head trying to figure it all out. So I, I'm COVID, so just COVID, I'm not sure what changed too much, but definitely it was even more hands-off, I guess, in terms of, various authorities or services actually getting involved. And I, I mean, you know, I look at headlines out of Vancouver the last couple of years and you hear about larger tent cities and you hear about, you know, assaults on, on people. What, I, I mean, what has been the general approach among politicians in, in Vancouver, in BC, in relation to this? I mean, we just, you know, up until recently, it was Mayor Kennedy Stewart in Vancouver and, and, and now former Premier John Horgan overseeing BC. What has there been their approach to trying to deal with these issues? And, and how has the public responded to that approach? That's a multifaceted question again. But uh, Kennedy Stewart, one of his big things was he kind of got caught up in that defund the police thing that came out of the George Floyd murder in the United States. And so did his council. And so they reduced the budget of the police by, I don't know, I think it was a 10% or something like that. It ended up being overruled by another board, but that was their idea that the police were just causing problems. You've got to put more into mental health services, which is part of the solution too. But And with the police reduction, what was also happening with just these toxic drugs and sort of the downtown east side is also getting a little bit gentrified. So people with money are moving in there, living among literally a block away, you can see the divide on one block. It goes from sort of wealth to just freaking chaos in terms of 10 cities on the sidewalks and stuff like that. But anyways, one of the big things that the police have been emphasizing for the last couple of years is random stranger assaults where people are just being pounded or knifed out of nothing. Actually, no motivation, not a robbery or anything. And, um, it average random attack lasts 15 seconds, then it's over. It just comes out of nowhere, and then it's over, and the person's in a bad shape. So that was that started making a lot of news with these random assaults. And the, the police did seem to have stats on it, showing that they were getting worse. And now in BC, we have a new premier. 
in David Eby, and we have a new mayor in, in Vancouver in Ken Sim, who are who are bringing a different approach or potentially a different approach to to addressing some of these problems. We've, I've talked on this show previously about Ken Sim and the controversy around wanting to increase the number of police on the streets, but also at the same time wanting to increase the number of mental health staff who are in the community as well. How are he and David Eby looking to break with the past and how they address issues in the downtown east side? Yeah, it's been a... I mean, Sim's interesting. He won the election large uh, large part on promising a bigger police presence in the downtown east side and the whole city. And then David Eby's sort of the most interesting because he's changing the BC government's NDP kind of approach. And he's getting really um, hard-nosed about, you know, not releasing violent offenders onto the street very quickly, which was happening. So the liberal opposition calls it the catch and release (laughs) program. And he's going to stop that. He's also saying there should be kind of forced treatment for, or involuntary treatment, as they call it, for people who overdose and then go back onto the street and overdose again the same day or the same day, even three times in the same day, that there should be involuntary treatment and not freaking out the civil libertarian people, which, you know, it is a conflict of values and stuff, but it's also was not, it was the opposite of what the BC NDP and the, the former Vancouver Council wanted, their, their big emphasis was on sort of reducing stigma against people who use drugs, which sounds good. And in some ways, we all probably, well, most of us believe in it, but it's ended up being more of a slogan, this uh, anti-stigma program than, than being effective. Because as everybody says, things have got nothing but worse down there over the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah. And, and do you get a sense that that's why some of these appro- new approaches from, from Sim and, and EB may be popular is because there's a sense and a sense on the ground that things have never been worse there? Yeah. I, I haven't actually seen polling on what people think of these things, but Sim won the election and EB's no idiot. He's, he probably knows what the public wants too. Um, one of the most startling changes was very visual and that was the tent encampments along Hastings Street, Main Street, everywhere. It's like it had become a campground. And pretty terrible things were happening in these tents, including, you know, sexual assaults, uh, crime, fires. That was a huge thing. It was like we were reporting on a fire a day where people would get injured, you know, putting on fires in their tents. It was just chaos. And, of course, these tents sort of take a good picture, so to speak, (laughs) And uh, kind of came to symbolize how things were just out of control. Whereas the old days, you could walk down Hastings Street, and you, in some ways, you still can, and not feel personally threatened. That's what's kind of interesting about the place. You, it's not like you go in there and get mugged. Like there's actually pretty good restaurants down there, kind of buried in there, and um, most people are quite happy to, including me, just to walk through and not feel you're going to get mugged. It's not, that's sort of more of an American thing for some reason that, you know, they're dangerous neighborhoods where you really will get knifed or something. It's just not the case generally in the downtown East side. Although these rise of random stranger attacks are creating more fear. We'll be right back.
In a recent column, you looked at how compassion may be actually causing a problem for the downtown east side. I mean, you talk about this idea of, of public campaigns to reduce the stigma around drug use. And, you know, we're, we are talking about a, a, a group, a, a community where people are victims in a lot of ways, right? You just mentioned, you know, when these 10, these 10 encampments, there are crimes perpetrated on, on residents of them. There are sexual assaults there and the overdoses. We're talking about people who, who are trying to support addictions and they're, they're taking drugs that are, that are coming in that are poisoned, that are, that are killing them. We're talking about fentanyl and carfentanyl. How could compassion be a hindrance rather than a help for the residents of the downtown east side? Like my argument is that pretty well everybody feels compassion for what's going the people down there and what's going on, mental illness, the drug addiction and the poverty and the homelessness. Everybody's got ideas about it. And, you know, the right wing, the center and the left um, on how to resolve things. Um, and I, I do believe that it comes out of this empathy and compassion. You know, even the right wing doesn't want people suffering, like sometimes they, the cliche is the right don't care. But the solutions all these groups are coming up with are kind of often contradic- contradictory, right? Like one approach is the kind of communitarian approach to just provide more services, more housing, more treatment, all of which are good. The other kind of ethical approach is, you know, tough love. You help people help themselves. Another ethical approach is to distribute people from the downtown east side to other neighborhoods. So everybody's acting out of compassion. And unfortunately, it sort of turns into self-righteousness quite often and this, and a real ideological kind of strain to it. And then, as this SFU prof pointed out, and I thought it was kind of brilliant, social media has made it worse because now all these groups who have their solutions are fighting for attention in the public sphere and often, you know, hating each other on social media, as you know, we know what happens out there. And um, so it's creating even more fragmentation and division about what the solutions are. And also people now fight for attention through social media or the media to gain money, right? To gain grants and uh, donations. And I think that could be exacerbating the sense of chaos down there and the sort of do-nothing approach other than just to be nice, which compassion doesn't always work. <laughs> That's one thing I wonder about this, this idea, you know, A, it doesn't always work and, and B, where you have these voices who are fighting for, I guess, fighting for the lives of these communities and, and with their different approaches. And I, you know, I know that, you know, the most recent example of this kind of back and forth was this video by conservative leader Pierre Poiliev and, and talking about, you know, the, the danger of safe supply and however well-meaning he may have been, he's been heavily criticized for it. And do, do we get a sense we're at the point where compassion fatigue may set in or even just fatigue with the opposing sides fighting over which solution is best and, and how that could, you know, we could reach a breaking point in caring, which then leads us to a sense of paralysis about actually helping the people who need help the most. I'll answer that in two parts. I, I just sort of emphasize, I think that that fighting for attention equaling fighting for money is a real problem. Uh, and that's where compassion does get a little skewed by, oh, our group could get a million dollar grant if we 
get enough attention for our point of view. But yeah, on the compassion fatigue, I think it's definitely true. Like, I'm sometimes surprised how much even our paper, the Vancouver Sun, covers the downtown east side. It's like, <laughs> it's almost, well, there's three or four stories a week, probably. That can drain people, right, in terms of thinking, oh, it's just getting worse. I'm just going to turn my attention to, you know, uh, helping the refugees get into Canada or some other cause. There's a million causes out there. And if you feel like you're, all this attention that's going to one neighborhood is not really working, it, there is a real tendency to get moral fatigue. <laughs> Do you get a sense, you know, that under new leadership in, in the province and in the city of Vancouver, that we may see some, some positive changes. I, I know, you know, on, on, on Twitter, you, you said that while you've criticized the BC NDP on a, on a lot of things, you're quite pleased with the plan that Dave Eby came out with, you know, what, what are you hopeful to see over the next few months or what are you hopeful with in regard to the BC NDP's plan. David Eby is, you know, he can be annoying, but um, he's a very bold person, and he's, you know, in some ways, he's a, kind of the smartest guy in the room, as they say. The fact that he's just directly taking on the sort of civil libertarians, and he used to work for the, he used to head the BC Civil Liberties Association, and other groups in the in the downtown east side actually, where that was an emphasis, and he's he's just boldly saying, no, I disagree with you on this. We're going to get way more. Uh, kind of involved and assertive about supporting the police, uh, providing more homes and stuff. I think he's saying there's going to be more comprehensive treatment for people who are addicted. He's going to get rid of the tent encampments, which is controversial because some people's activists really support the people's right to create tent cities on the streets. So I have never seen such uh, an assertive approach by a politician for a long, for decades, actually. So, you know, <laughs> got to give them a chance. <laughs> I, and I know it's something that, that you'll be paying close attention to, as will many Canadians who, who worry and wonder about the, the fate of the people in the downtown east side. Douglas, thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Douglas Todd. More from him at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.